What's up, everyone? Welcome to the show. Another episode of the Terminator Training Method Show. I'm your host, as always, Kevin Smith. It is Labor Day weekend. Big announcement. I have, if you're listening to this on the day it airs, or perhaps the day after it airs, you're in luck if you are in the market for a program. All four of my programs are on sale right now. 50% off on my website, terminatortraining.com. Discount code is TTM, that's Tango Tango Mike, 50. No space. And yes, 50% off. That's what they're going for. None of this 10% off crap that people like to promote. I'm literally cutting the price in half. So if you want one, if you know someone who wants one, whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced, if you have any sort of endurance or strength goals, or you just want to get a little bit stronger, a little more muscular and speed your metabolism up, or perhaps you want to go to special forces assessment and selection, if you are in that small little niche group, I got programs on my website for all of those goals. Go ahead and check them out. I also have a nutrition guide. The nutrition guide is $14.99 usually, so you can get that also for half off. So it's pretty pretty good price for a 32-page ebook all about nutrition, behavioral aspects of eating food, why people are overweight, what drives people to eat, fad diets and why they probably aren't the best idea, and just ways to eat based on what your what your personal goals might be, whether it's to gain muscle, lose body fat, or maybe even both, or just get healthier and look better. Um, let's be honest, most people want to look better. If anyone says that they work out, eat well, and you know, take really good care of themselves and they don't care at all about how they look, they're lying to you, that's that's false. So yes, you wanna be healthy. Yes, you wanna perform well. Yes, you wanna live a long time, feel good. But I mean, it also is cool to look good too. You know, be lean, muscular, and strong. So go ahead and check those out. That sale ends Monday night at midnight. That is September 5th, so act quickly. Today we have a question and answer podcast. I've got, I believe, nine questions. We'll see if we can get to all of them. I will. I like to answer these questions on Instagram. By the way, if you have a question for me and you want me to answer it on Instagram and the podcast, check out my Instagram stories. Terminator underscore training is my Instagram name. And at least once a week, I will post and ask me anything in my story. I'll answer it on there and I'll also answer it in a little bit more in depth on here. So yeah, I got nine questions today, and without further ado, let's get into them. First question is, I hate sled work. What is a good alternative? So sled work, whether you're pushing a sled, pulling a sled, sprinting with a sled, walking backwards with a sled, forward, sideways, uh, there's lots of lots and lots of benefits of, of sled work. It's very versatile as well. Um, you can use sled work to in- improve your endurance you can use it to improve your strength you can use it to improve your speed and power it's even even you can even use it to get bigger legs now it shouldn't be your only leg exercise in order if you want to get big muscular legs but if you do lots of sled work your legs can grow that being said some people don't enjoy it or some people don't have access to them 
if you do have access to it, I, I highly, highly recommend using it. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to do like a full on like sled program. You don't have to use it every day. But the sled is a, like I said, very versatile and it's very low skill and it's very easy to learn and it is low risk as well. You can, you can benefit a lot from the sled and your, your chance of getting hurt on a sled, like you have to be really, really, really unathletic to get hurt pushing or, or pulling a sled, or you just have to be doing something stupid, like using way too much weight or something like that. But even that is pretty unusual. But the great thing about a sled is, yeah, you it, even if you're a novice, even if you like really can't lift, you've never really lifted weights, you don't have any experience doing that, like I've seen like 80-year-old women pushing or pulling sleds. Now, obviously, you're going to have to modify the intensity, modify the weight. You may not be loading stacks and stacks of plate on plates on it, especially first, uh, like when you first start out. But sled work is awesome. However, if you really hate it and you don't want to use a sled, you're not required to. I don't like to re- recommend exercises that... If you hate an exercise, I don't recommend you. You don't have to do it. Like, there's no mandatory exercises. So, I mean, depending on what you're you're using the sled for, if you're using it to build endurance, you can do endurance work on some other cardio machine. You can run. You can you can walk with a ruck on. You can walk on an incline, row, bike, swim, whatever you like to do. Um, so that's that's pretty simple. If you're doing it for strength, obviously you can lift weights for strength. The great thing about a sled, though is that most most strength exercises have an eccentric and a concentric portion of the lift, which is just fancy terms for a lowering and a raising portion or a lengthening and a shortening portion of a lift. And sled work only has a concentric. It doesn't have the eccentric. So what does that mean? Basically, that just means you are, you're still doing things that are going to make you stronger and better or whatever you're using it for, but you're doing a lot less damage to your muscles and it's a lot less, it's less stressful on your nervous system. So it requires a lot less recovery. So potentially depending on how you do it and if you manipulate intensity properly, you could use a sled every day and recover from it. So that's what I love about sleds. Um, But yeah, if you want to get stronger legs, you can just do squats, lunges, split squats, leg press, hack squats, whatever, any strength, any strength workout for your legs, right? If you want to get faster, you can run sprints, you can do plyometrics, you can do Olympic lifts, things like that. Those will all improve your power, improve your speed. So it's not required, but if you got access to it, try it out. Maybe you'll really like it. If not, no worries. Is there any way to replace it? Not really. I mean, if you love sleds and you don't have access to one, you can push a car, you can pull a car if you want, if you're really strong, but that's a little extreme and a little bit goofy. So there's no real, I guess like one thing I really like to do is backwards walking on a, or with a sled attached to my waist. So you walk backwards. It's not nothing crazy heavy, but it's really good for knee health and kind of a warm up for your quads or just like maintenance throughout the week, just walking backwards a little bit with a sled. There is a way you can kind of simulate that by you can get on a what's called a dead mill. You can do dead mill walks. Basically, you just don't turn the treadmill on and you kind of put your back or butt up against where, you, where the front handles are or you can hold on to the side handles basically just to 
anchor yourself and then you can walk backwards on a treadmill. It's not very much resistance, but it is it is an option and you can do that walking forwards too. But that I mean that's just one resistance. You you can't change the resistance at all, so I mean it's not I, I wouldn't call it a replacement, but if 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 you're in a situation where you don't have a sled and you want to do that, totally fine, but yeah, don't do it if you hate it. Next question. How can I improve my five mile run time from 45 to 48 minutes to down to 40 minutes? So there's a quick way to do this that may or may not be the smartest way to do it. And there is a more sustainable, long-term, successful, uh, less risky, less risk of injury way to do this. And it really kind of depends on your history. If you have a history of doing a lot of running and you're just really out of shape right now, then you can do the fast short way, which I'll get into in a second. If you don't, if you just never really been good at running or just you never really run and you're trying to get faster, I would recommend the long approach, which I'll also get into afterwards. So short approach, basically, obviously, if you're going to, if you want to get better at running, guess what? You have to run more there. There should be no surprise there. But a lot of mistake a lot of people make is just running as hard. Every time they go out for a run, they just run as hard as they can for a certain amount of time or a certain pace or a certain distance. So this isn't necessary with, with, with like strength training. Every time you lift, every time you are going to the gym to build muscle, you want to go hard every time, pretty much, unless you're doing some sort of deload. But the thing about running or any sort of conditioning, you need to manipulate your intensity. Some days is hard, some days is easy, some days is kind of moderate. Actually, most days are very easy, low intensity type, zone two running. So I would recommend if you want to get quickly better at a five mile, 80% still of your hours spent or minutes spent running should be in a zone two pace. And what that means is the, the easiest way to do it, there's two really easy ways to do it. If you have a heart, heart rate strap, that's awesome. You can, you can track your heart rate. Usually for most people, somewhere between 120 and 140 beats per minute is a solid zone two place to be in. Um, you can also use the Maffetone 180 method. So you, tra- you subtract your age from 180. So if we'll take me, for example, I am 33. Well, I'll be 33 in a couple days, but I'm 33, 180 minus 33, 147. So that'll be my top end of my aerobic pace, my zone two pace. So I'll usually shoot for like a little bit below that, maybe like 135 to 140. And that's what I'll stay in the entire time I'm doing these. And you, when you're doing zone two, you wanna be going for a little bit longer. So like minimum, probably 30 minutes or so. And if you don't run at all right now, I, I wouldn't recommend doing any more than like an hour or so total per week and then you can build on that as you get better and better each week but doing that doing a a little bit of speed work so speed work for a distance like five miles i mean it's that's not true like speed work like running 100 or 60 meters like all out it's more of what I would call repeat work. So you're going to a track or you can do it on a treadmill, not ideal, but you can if you want. Any sort of flat ground, doesn't have to be a track, but tracks are easy because it's super easy to just measure your distance. You know, like one lap around a track is usually 400 meters and so on and so forth. So you can do repeats 
I would start maybe with like a mile and a half of volume total. So that could be, you know, three 800s. It could be four 600s, uh, things like six 400s, things like that. Um, and then each week maybe add a extra 400 meters, maybe a half a mile up until you get to about three, probably like three miles of total volume, maybe three and a half. You don't really need much more than that. So three, if you're running 400s, that's what, 12 400s. And then if you are, the, the thing about speed work, the thing about repeat work that people mess up all the time is they don't pace themselves properly. So you wanna run at a pace where you can maintain that pace for every single repeat you do. So if you're running six 400s, for example, and you run the first one in 130, and I like to start with a one-to-one work-to-rest ratio. So say you take 130 to run 400, you rest 130, a minute 30, 90 seconds. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people mess this up by going as hard as they possibly can on the first one, and the rest isn't long enough, and they're slower on the second one, and again, the rest isn't long enough, they're slower on the third one. You want to be within like two to four seconds on every single lap. So between like 128 and 132 for every lap. That's just an example. Um, if you're running this, if you're running 45 to 48 minute five miles, you're probably going to be slower than that. Maybe like start at like two minutes and do a one to one work rest ratio and try to get each lap down uh, this in the same amount of time. And then each week you can change a variable. You can either change your total distance you can change uh actually i would increase your distance each week but you can change another variable like how far each repeat is so maybe like week one you did 400s week two you do 600s and you do an extra half a mile total so it'd be like four four six uh four six hundreds week one five six hundreds the second week for example um, and then you're you're trying to get a little bit faster each week. So say you did 400s week one, and each one was two minutes, give or take two seconds. You are probably next week you shoot for like 155 or 157, and then the following week, you know 153, things like that. So other variables you can change are the rest intervals. Once you get to like a, a distance you like, so say you like really like running 800s, that's totally fine if you just run 800 meter repeats. You don't have to change them up all the time. But each week you want to get a little faster and each week you want to go a little bit further. And once you get pretty good at that, once you get to a pace where you're like, okay, I'm running at like a you know, six, 6.30, seven minute mile pace, that's when you can kind of shorten your rest intervals a little bit. So maybe you do a one to 0.75 work to rest ratio, things like that. So repeat work. I know that was a lot, but do a lot of repeat work. It'll improve your top end speed and make you faster running anywhere from one to five to six miles. I mean, even marathon runners do speed work, but yeah, it's definitely important and then you can also do tempo runs. Tempo runs are like right in between that pace where you run your repeats. So like your repeats are like really pretty damn hard. Your long, slow distance runs are pretty damn easy. And then right in the middle of that is a tempo run. It's 
quote unquote comfortably hard. So you should be able to say a couple words at a time, but not like a 12 word sentence. Like, and that was the other method that I would use to track your zone two is can you say a 12 word sentence? Think of your, think of a sentence before you start the workout. And if you're able to say that without stopping and pausing for a big breath, then you are probably somewhere in zone two. And that's if you don't have a heart rate monitor. Now, tempo run is comfortably hard. So you maybe start out with like 20 minute tempo runs. Maybe next week you do 25 minute tempo runs. And you're, you're pretty much running at a pace that you could run if you had to, if you absolutely had to, you could run for twice as long as you are running. So we'll take 20 minutes for example. You are running at a pace that if you had to, gun to your head, run for 40 minutes, you could but you're stopping at 20. And then the following week, you're stopping at 25. And in the following week, you're stopping at 30. This will build your, this will mimic kind of the five mile. And if you start a little bit lower than your 40 minute time, you know, um, you can build your way up to, you know, once you're running that like a 40 minute tempo run, hopefully by that time, you are right around eight, uh, five miles, which is an eight minute per mile pace. So, the quick way to do it is to do probably one or two speed sessions per week or repeat sessions. And you wanna space these out. So say for example, you do a speed session on Monday, maybe you don't do another speed session till like Thursday. So for example, Monday you do eight 400s, Tuesday rest, Wednesday you do your tempo run, 20 minutes long and you're doing that at like, you know, an 8.15 pace or so. If, if you can run a 45 minute, five mile right now, you could probably run 20 minutes at an 8.15 pace. And then you'll probably do another really hard, fast repeat day on Thursday, take Friday off, and then Saturday's your really long run day. So that's four runs a week. You can also do like two speed sessions and two long slow distance sessions that'll build your aerobic base a little bit better and then as you get better and better you can add that tempo run in but i do recommend probably if, you, if you're trying to do this quick you you have to run at least four days per week you can even run five days per week too you just got to really be mindful of that intensity now if you want to do it in a more sustainable way where you mitigate your risk of injury work on your running form and really get your aerobic capacity built and improve it significantly. I I do recommend not doing that speed work and that tempo work right away. Maybe the first month or so you're just doing, you know, 60 minutes to 90 minutes of zone two. It doesn't all have to be in one workout. You can do like two 45 minute workouts or you can do three 30 minute workouts or you can do an hour and a, and a 30 minute one. Um, and then you kind of increase volume as you go and you are staying in that zone two the entire time. This takes a lot of discipline. It, running, running or any sort of exercise, it takes more discipline to stay at the right intensity than it does to just go as hard as you possibly can. So keep that in mind too. It's kind of like counterintuitive. And you do that for a month, maybe two months, preferably, and then you start adding that speed work and that tempo work. And what that'll do is just make you so much better at recovering from your interval training, your repeat training. It will make you able to, so the, the faster you can get at a low intensity, 
the better off you're going to be at a higher intensity, if that makes sense. For example, like marathon runners, like elite marathon runners who run like 440 miles for 26 miles, they will do their zone two work at like 530 pace for like 20 miles. Now, I can barely run that for one mile right now. So we're talking about like elite athletes, but that's just goes to show you the more you build that aerobic base, the faster you get at it. And then when you really need to buckle down and go hard for a 40 minute five mile or under 40 minute five mile, you're just gonna be that much better. And you can also do some running technique improvement. So a lot of people have poor running form and another mistake people make is not treating running as a skill. So not practicing actual technique I would say the most common techniques or breakdowns have to do with overstriding. So you think if you if you take bigger, longer strides that you're going to go faster, that's not necessarily the case. If you are reaching out with each step like way in front of you, it's actually slowing you down. And not only that, it's increasing the amount of impact on your structure. You're hitting with your you're going to hit with your heels, heel striking. I'm sure most people have heard of that. And then people have like poor posture. They either lean backwards, they lean forward, they do weird stuff with their arms. Like it should be just like a natural motion. And the best way to do that is the best way to improve your running form is probably to go see a professional, go to a running store, a local running store. Most big towns and cities have some sort of running store where you can do a gait analysis and they can give you a bunch of drills to get to improve your actual running technique. That can help a lot too. That's going to make your, it's gonna make it more efficient. You're gonna be able to run for a longer period of time and you're less likely to burn out. You're less likely to get injured and you're less likely to do any sort of overuse type activity. So that can help a lot too. Um, and I, I would do running skill work as needed, as, as you'd like. You know, running skill sessions should not be like really hard they shouldn't be taxing you shouldn't have to recover from them they're like nice low intensity days it's kind of like if you want to get really good at squatting you're probably not just going to squat heavy once a week you're going to do a lot of technique work at very 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 low intensity think of it like 50 percent effort at the very most so things like that but yeah uh that doing all of those things <laughs> and just being patient with it and will get you at a low to a, a faster run Another thing, like if you want to get better at running and you are, you're a little bigger, you have excess weight, whether it's body fat or muscle, the bigger you are, the harder it is to run fast, especially for distance. So you might want to consider going in a slight calorie deficit, nothing crazy because you need to fuel your, your training, but a slight de calorie deficit, if, if this is you, if you have some weight to lose, just simply losing five to 10 pounds will make you faster like pretty pretty much on it's going to happen so another thing to consider i know i kind of jumped all over the place if you have more questions if you have anything specific that you want me to answer on that go ahead and dm me and i'd be happy to give you some more tips give you some more pointers and maybe get like more of a history so next question is golf considered exercise i would not consider golf exercise I would say it's more like neat non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which basically just walking or movement. Now it, which is really good for you. So, if you're going out and golfing and you're walking, you're probably going to get a ton of steps, which is good. And then the actual, you know, 
depending on how good or bad you are, obviously the more shots you take, the more times you swing, you're going to burn more calories, uh, which obviously you don't want that. You want to take as few shots as possible because it's golf. The lower your score, the better. But yeah, I would consider it neat. It's way better than sitting around doing nothing, but I wouldn't consider it true exercise. And keep in mind, a lot of people go to the golf course to drink a bunch of alcohol and get hammered because it's fun. Let's be honest. I play like absolute shit when I, when I drink. So I don't drink anymore when I play golf. I basically don't drink anymore, period. But yeah, if you're going to do that, then I think the, the alcohol consumption kind of outweighs the, the neat that you're getting from it, the benefits that you're getting from that. So yeah, I would consider that even if you're driving in a cart, you're still going to get quite a few steps and it's certainly better than sitting around doing nothing. So go play golf. Just don't count it as your workout. Next question. Are seed oils as harmful as they're said to be? Okay. So seed oils are things like vegetable oils, canola oil, things like that. Um, they are, they're an inflant. They definitely cause an inflammatory response in the body, but there's a lot, a lot of debate as to whether this inflammatory response is like that bad. They are, they can, they tend to be high in omega-6 fatty acids. So without getting too much into omega-3, 6, and 9, omega-3s really good for you. Omega-6s not necessarily bad for you, but only if you have a good ratio of omega-3s to omega-6s. And most people in America don't. They eat way too much omega-6 type fatty acids. That being said, if you are a healthy weight, if you don't have a bunch of excess body fat, I wouldn't worry too much about eating uh, or consuming food that has been cooked or prepared in seed oils all that much. Now, if, if you eat healthy most of the time and then whenever you go out to eat, even if you order something healthy at a restaurant you st- and you still feel crappy, whether it's like bloat, gas, digestive issues, or you feel like inflammation the next day, joint pain, brain fog, things like that, then you may not have a, your gut might not appreciate the fact that you're eating seed oils. And that's pretty common. This is, this happens to me for sure. I cook in, I, I don't use seed oils at all at home. And even when I go out to eat and I order healthy food, I still kind of feel like crap that night and the next day. And it's because of what they cook the, the food in. Um, there, there's no other explanation for it. Like if I get a freaking steak with seasoned with salt and maybe some steamed vegetables and a plain baked potato on the side and I still feel like crap after, it's not the food I ate. It's, it's what it was cooked in, right? So when I cook, I use things like avocado oil, olive oil, butter, ghee, beef tallow, things like that. Now you might be wondering, isn't butter, ghee, beef tallow like really high in saturated fat? Yes, they are very high in saturated fat. However, it's kind of been debunked that a diet high in saturated fat is going to be really bad for you unless you are eating too many calories. So the, the... the way to get really, really unhealthy is to be overweight and fat or obese. And it doesn't really matter how you get that way. You're just eating an excess of calories. 
it's not the saturated fat that's clogging people's arteries. It's not the saturated fat that is giving people heart disease. I wouldn't worry too much about if you're otherwise healthy, I wouldn't worry about saturated fat. You do want to be mindful of the calories that are in cooking oils and things like that. So you want to track those, if, especially if you're tracking calories. It's a great way to easily get, you know, an extra four to eight hundred calories per day if you're not careful with it. Um, so definitely be mindful of that. But it's not just because something is mostly saturated fat. It doesn't mean it's going to clog your arteries, give you heart disease if you're otherwise a healthy person. For example, breast milk, which everyone knows how healthy breast milk milk is. It's probably one of the most nutritious, I wouldn't call it a food, but things you a human can consume, right? It baby developing babies literally live off it. And guess what? Breast milk is over half, 50%. It's like 54, 56% saturated fat. So, saturated fat is actually very very good for you, you know, eating it in excess maybe not the best for you but a little bit is fine so I would recommend overall if you're gonna cook I would use one of those oils I just mentioned and just be mindful of how much you're using and don't forget to track it if you are tracking calories and I wouldn't worry too much about seed oils unless you feel like crap when you eat them um, then maybe try and avoid eating them for the most part but they're not gonna kill you I just wouldn't recommend using them all the time. Um, a lot of the studies they do on them too are in like rat and mice. There's not a ton. There not aren't a lot of human studies on whether it's really really bad or really okay for you um, that I'm aware of. I, I, I haven't seen any, but I'm not like an expert on seed oils. Um, and then a lot of highly processed, highly palatable foods that are high in sugar, fat sodium things like that basically processed packaged food are a lot of them are cooked in seed oils so is it the seed oil or is it the is it the food the overconsumption of calories that's making you unhealthy i would argue that it is the overconsumption of calories that's making you unhealthy so take that for what it's worth that's my view on seed oils it's not as it's not as demonic as some people will lead you to believe on social media all right, next question. Is morning congestion a sign of bad sleep? Uh, so it can be. It can also be a sign of you're just allergic to something in your room or allergic to something in the environment. But it can be a sign of the fact that you spent all night mouth breathing, which is very common. A lot of people breathe through their mouth at night because they're you know sleeping, so they're unaware of it. A lot of people, a lot of people breathe through their mouth all day long. Humans are intended to breathe through their nose almost all the time unless you are doing something that is very strenuous and you need more air uh, per breath Then yeah, you breathe through your mouth, obviously, like running, doing anything like super difficult. But you want to be breathing through your nose most of the time. And if you spend all night breathing through your mouth, A, you might wake up with very dry mouth. You might wake up multiple times throughout the night. Maybe you think like you have to wake up and pee all the time. When you're asleep, when you're like in good sleep, your body actually kind of shuts off its desire to urinate. But when you are sleeping really light and you're kind of awake all night, you tend to have to get up and use the bathroom. Um, so that could be, if, if you're doing that, yeah, it could be a sign of not good sleep. And then kind of when you wake up, if you're if you have really dry mouth or you've been breathing through your mouth all night, uh, 
you might get like this rebound congestion in your nose that occurs in the morning. So things to consider if you if you snore, if you've been diagnosed with sleep apnea, if you wake up with dry mouth, if you get up a lot to pee, or if you have congestion in the morning, you are probably a nighttime mouth breather. And so long as you have like a intact nasal passageway, so I know a lot of people are former fighters or current fighters, whatever, and their nose may be jacked up, they probably don't really have an option to breathe through their nose for the most part, which is unfortunate. If you can get that fixed, it'll really improve your health. But if you do have an intact nasal passageway and you are open to trying it, you can try mouth tape. I personally started using mouth tape a few weeks ago and it has improved. I thought I was a nose breather all night, but apparently I even breathe through my, I don't snore, I don't have sleep apnea, I don't wake up a lot. I don't have dry mouth in the morning or anything like that, but it has significantly improved my sleep since I started using it. And I've been using it for long enough to actually like, you know, be pretty sure that it is the mouth tape that is improving. I I didn't change any other variables. So I'm getting more deep sleep. I'm getting more REM sleep and I'm feeling more rested in the morning, which is really cool. And As far as tape, you don't need to like duct tape your mouth shut. You don't need to use any like hockey tape, anything crazy like that. You just need a little bit of, I think it's like three, three millimeter, um, like surgical tape. And it's super thin, really easy to take off if you like put it on and panic because you don't think you're going to be able to breathe. Um, you don't want to put like really sticky duct tape or gorilla tape on your mouth. That's, that's a terrible idea. Um, but yeah, super easy to take off in the morning and can improve your sleep for sure. So it's not a hundred percent a sign of bad sleep, but it very well could be. So I would consider that. All right, next question: Are online BMI calculators accurate? So BMI, body mass index, is pretty much just a way to categorize people and based on their weight and height. And that's the only, I think maybe you put your age in, but I don't, I don't even think it's that. It's just your height and weight. So you could be, for example, six foot one, 250 pounds and 10% body fat. And your BMI is gonna be the same as someone who's six foot one, 250 pounds and you know 30% body fat, like overweight, obese. So I wouldn't, if you're fit, if you're really in shape, especially if you have a lot of muscle mass, I wouldn't worry too much about BMI. But BMI, is it accurate? I mean, it, yeah, the, the way that they measure BMI is is accurate. It's, just, it's literally just an equation. So it, it's definitely accurate, but I, I wouldn't get too concerned. Like for example, I am six foot one, about 190 pounds. I'm usually around nine to 11% body fat, give or take throughout the year and I'm considered overweight. My BMI is 25.1, so that is considered overweight. And if I'm overweight, man, then like almost everyone's overweight. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be super concerned about BMI, but yes, the calculators are accurate. Now if you're if you're really overweight as far as you have lots of body fat and not a lot of muscle mass, then your BMI can be a little bit more accurate as to like, you're, you probably need to lose weight, you're unhealthy, but it, if you're fit, I wouldn't worry too much about it. It's not the, I, I would just, 
if, if you want, you can get your body fat percentage tested. You can go by the mirror, whatever it may be. Uh, your body fat is a lot, your body fat percentage is a lot more indicative of health or unhealth than your BMI. So that's it on that one. Let's get to the next question. All right. Is it a good idea to eat a low, low animal protein, high carb diet? I'm reading a book that recommends this. So the thing about books, I'll get to the answer to the question in a second, but the thing about books and the thing about social media pages, the thing about YouTube channels, the thing about Netflix documentaries, etc., is most people are trying to sell something to you. They're not they're not actually giving you what the data shows. There there is there is data that says that eating plants and like eating a plant-based diet is really good for you, but it it there's no studies that say eating plants only and no meat, lo, really low to no animal protein is good for you. That's because it's not the case. You can cherry pick information out of a study to make your argument stronger. You can do that all day long if you want, especially if you're good at it. And some people are really, really good at cherry picking studies. If you haven't seen the Game Changers documentary on Netflix, I highly recommend watching that. And then I also highly recommend watching Lane Norton, who is like the gangster nutrition guy. He he is the probably the most science-based and uh, good at debunking studies and false information guy that there possibly is in the fitness industry. So I'd watch his, he's got like a 45 minute YouTube video with his wife, Holly Baxter, where they debunk the entire thing. Literally every single argument in the entire movie is debunked and but if you watch it and you don't know any better, you might be like, wow, all these you know, successful people are eating vegan. They're doing so well. It's so much healthier than Conor McGregor ate steak before his fight and he lost. Like that is, that's not, <laughs> it's not causation. It's just correlation. Like, um, yeah, you have to keep all these things in mind. So books are no different. If someone has a book and maybe... Maybe they are trying to help you, but the thing is, like, everyone's so individual. Like, what works for the writer of this book may not work for you, and it may not work for everyone. It may work for some people. For some people, very few, but for some people, eating only plants and no animal products, aka being vegan, is healthier for them. Very few people, though. Most people would be much better off eating meat, animal, all animal products, and also some plants. So being an omnivore. Uh, unfortunately, people are like to get into these camps. So like you're either a low carb camp, you're in the high carb camp, you're in the low protein camp, which I don't even understand that one. You're in the freaking eat only meat camp, you're in the vegan camp, whatever it might be. People like to get into these like camps. It's kind of just like politics, honestly. And it makes them feel important and they like to try and prove their point and push their, their diets on everybody. And it's just, it's unfortunate because humans have been evolving and eating and living, thriving off of a plant and animal based diet for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, right? So 
why do you think now all of a sudden you shouldn't eat animal protein? You should just eat plants. I will tell you this. If you are, if you're in a survival situation and you don't have the ability to kill and prepare and eat an animal of some sort, you're not going to last very long. If you're trying to live off plants in a survival situation, you are not going to last long at all because animal protein is a lot more nutritious than plants are. I mean, everyone thinks like, oh, plants, you know, they're so nutritious. Kale's a superfood, things like that. Well, guess what? You can eat, you can literally live forever off only eating like red meat. Uh, Red meat has enough nutrients, all the proteins, all the fats that you need to literally live off just that. You can't live off only kale. You can't live off only beans. You can't live off only uh, any, whatever, whatever vegan food that is tofu. You definitely can't live off just tofu. You're going to have crazy, crazy nutrient deficiencies. You're not going to eat enough protein. You're not going to, you're going to fail to thrive. So A, eating a low protein diet in general is not smart unless you have a underlying kidney problem or if you have a cancer, eating a high protein diet can make cancers worse, but it, it doesn't make you like if you don't have cancer now and you eat a lot of protein, you're not going to get it. But once you already have it, you might want to consider not eating as much protein, but that's totally beside the point. A low protein diet is not smart. People should people need to eat more protein if anything. Protein's very good for you. Protein supports muscle building. Muscle is one of your best defenses against aging, one of your best defenses against disease, one of your best defenses against any sort of metabolic dysfunction. And yeah, so eating low protein is not smart. Eating low, like eating a plant-based diet, if you want to eat a plant-based diet for moral reasons, because you don't uh, support like the inhumane or killing treatment or killing of animals, that's fine. Go for it. Absolutely. Make sure you do your research and really get up to speed on all the supplements you're going to have to take in order to maintain your health. Because if you don't, then you're going to, your health's going to go downhill like pretty quickly. Um, But if you are trying to go plant-based because you think it's healthier, then you've been completely misinformed and misled. You're not going to be any healthier. You're going to be less healthy if you try to eat plant-based than you would if you ate plants and animals. So yeah, just be cautious of where you're getting your information and you know, you might have to do some digging into studies in order to believe things. It's unfortunate because a lot of people aren't super nerdy like I am and they'll hear something on what they think is a trusted source and they'll go with it. Uh, I, I'd i be interested to see the studies of how many people have turned into vegans after watching the Game Changers documentary without a second thought. And unfortunately, it ruins a lot of people's health because there's, they miss so many points in that. Like, hey, if you're going to be vegan, if you're not going to eat meat, you are going to have severe nutrient deficiencies unless you supplement with these nutrients. So keep those things in mind. And for the most part, and like food sensitivities aside, actually very few people are sensitive to any sort of animal meat-based product the people can be sensitive to dairy and eggs and things like that but like red meat 
things like that are, are very, very rare to cause food sensitivity issues, whereas plants are a lot more common. So consider all those things and make your best choice or use your best judgment to decide what you're going to do. All right. How much cardio should one do to stay lean and healthy? Okay. So you can be really, really lean doing zero cardio. You don't need any cardio to do to be lean. Cardio is not a great way to manipulate your body composition. So it's, if you're trying to get leaner and look more, you know, toned or shredded or whatever you want to call it, cardio is not your, it's not going to help you get there. It, it may help you get there very temporarily, but it's not a long-term approach. A better long-term approach is to lift weights a lot. So you build your, you build muscle and you build your metabolism and then you can eat more and it's more sustainable. However, cardio is really good for your health. So you definitely should still do cardio. As for how much, if you're someone who is very active, if you walk a lot and you're a healthy body weight, you don't need a ton of cardio. In, in my opinion, you know, the, the American Heart Association, I believe it is, recommends 150 minutes per week of low to moderate intensity cardio. I think that's a little high, especially if you're doing none right now. You probably don't want to immediately jump into that. You can work your way up to it. Like that's not going to, if you do 150 minutes, which is what, two and a half hours per week, it's not going to be like detrimental to you. Um, but you don't need to do that much, especially if you're really active and you're already pretty lean. Um, I would say maybe twice a week you can do some sort of cardio, whether it's like two zone two, like I talked about earlier, low intensity sessions, or maybe like one session of sprints and one session of low intensity cardio. Keep in mind though, if you are a very stressed out person and you live a very stressful, hectic life, you're like always tired, tired but wired, you have trouble sleeping, you have trouble maintaining your weight, you have like hot, cold, uh, you, you feel really cold all the time or really hot all the time or, or a little bit of mixture of both, things like that, um, low energy, brain fog, things like that. You probably don't want to do a ton of high intensity cardio. High intensity cardio is great for performance and it can be great for your health. But if you are already really stressed out, it's just adding to that and you want to be very careful of that. But if you want to do more cardio than that, you absolutely can. I like to kind of put a ratio on it. Unless you have some sort of endurance event that you're trying to get ready for, you'll have to do more cardio. But if you, for, for general, like a general recommendation for most people, a two to one ratio of lifting or weight training or any sort of resistance training you do to cardio per week is a good idea. So if you spend, if you lift four days a week for an hour, that's four hours of lifting, then you'll do two hours of cardio. Now you can definitely do too much cardio. You can get into um, like if you're doing excessive cardio, that's not going to be good for you at all either. It's going to be really hard for you to build muscle or maintain muscle. It's also going to mess with your stress hormones, your sex hormones like testosterone, etc. So you don't want to be doing too much cardio. Um, so I wouldn't recommend you know unless you have like serious endurance ambitions if you're trying to get in shape for a race things like that i wouldn't recommend overdoing the cardio and just keep in mind like uh starting your so using cardio to be in a calorie deficit is not a sustainable way to do, to do things 
So I would not try and, you know, quote unquote, burn off the food that you're eating in order to stay lean. So really focus on your nutrition, lifting to build muscle, being very active. And then I would just say do cardio for health. Don't do it to stay lean. That wraps that one up. Final question. What is the best exercise for fat loss? Okay, so there is no magic exercise that is going to cause you to lose fat. The the only thing that's required for fat loss is that you're in a calorie deficit. You have to be consuming fewer calories per day or on average uh, than you than you burn. So that is it. There's no exercise that's going to make you lose fat directly. That being said, like I just said, if you lift weights and try and build muscle or do any sort of resistance training, doesn't have to be like weight room stuff, you can use bands, body weight, things like that, then you're going to be able to eat more calories and still be in that that calorie deficit. So lifting weights, being active, doing cardio for health, whether you're trying to lose fat or gain muscle is always what I would recommend. And then the way you manipulate your body weight and your body composition is through nutrition. So you have to be in a calorie deficit in order to lose fat. You have to be in a calorie surplus in order to gain muscle or gain fat, which I don't think a lot of people have that goal. But yeah, there's there's no way to like magically, and, and you'll see this all the time. Uh, you, you I'm sure whoever's asking this question has been just misinformed, misled, um, that there's some way to like magically torch body fat or things like that. There just isn't. Get stronger, build muscle, stay active, and yeah, use your food intake to manipulate your your body fat. So hope that helps, and I hope everyone's question was sufficiently answered. And yeah, hopefully I'll get back on here again soon and keep these awesome questions coming. I appreciate everyone tuning in. Until next time, Terminator out.